where we discuss every bare naked lady song from seven to Y. And this week, not only are we ending the L's, but we are beginning a month of cover songs. That was not pre-planned. It's just the way the alphabet works. And even though this week's song is really hard to find, it is one of the B&L covers that people I think love the most. But you know what? Maybe we'll have a big schism about that tonight on this with this song. You know, this pod that casting thing can be uh, a little dangerous. So, uh, joining me tonight is Aaron. Hello. And also joining us from another time zone are our friends from the Monster Squad Minute, Justin and Andrew. Yay! We made it. Woo. Yay! Good to have you here, guys. Thanks for having us back. <laughs> And if you haven't guessed from all of the puns that I've been doing, tonight's song is Lovers from a Dangerous Time. Next you're dazzled by the beauty of it all. Lovers in a dangerous time. Lovers in Wait, a dangerous time. I was going to say, Lovers from a Dangerous Man. Time is, a, uh, <laughs> is a, an adult-oriented uh, sci-fi film, I believe. It's a time travel Star- thriller. Yeah, starring Christopher <laughs> Lloyd. Christopher Lloyd is in that one. <laughs> oh my god! Great Scott. I don't. I do not want to see that movie now. <laughs> it's I didn't definitely want to see heavy. It before, but now I really didn't want to see it. This is heavy. Oh my goodness! My mind just went like four different directions, and none of those are good. <laughs> oh, back on topic, Aaron. What song? What album do you think this is from? I have no earthly idea. Um, I would assume. I mean, I can he- I can hear Stephen Page's voice, uh, so I know it's pre-Page departure. Um, it sounds early. It sounds like early BNL to me. So you know, maybe you should drive. <laughs> <laughs> well, guess what? No matter what you guessed, you were wrong. Uh, I had a feeling it was like. <laughs> I was gonna, I almost I was this close to being like, is this some kind of compilation or like it uh, is. secret B side something? Uh, yeah, that wasn't very. There was actually there was a they did this for Kick at the Darkness, which is the um, tribute album toward Bruce Coburn, who of course wrote this song. My favorite um, uh, lyric in this song. But interestingly, it's a lot like, of people's favorite this, lyrics in the song because you two stole that lyric for one of their songs. I, yeah, that's right. Yes. <laughs> there are other places you can find this, by the way. It was it was the B side on Old Apartment single. Okay. It was on the disc one, all our greatest hits. And this is wow. why everybody bought disc one at the time. It, it's yes. disc disc one is a really great greatest hits album because. Yeah. It had a few of their hits, and then the rest of it is just the stuff they recorded that you know about that isn't on any of their other albums. So it's a super useful album. At the time, it was great. Nowadays, you just download it. That was a smart move on their part. There were two other, pl- three other places that you could find this song, just to kind of go over it real quick. Power of Love Gas Station Collection songs, and the Randy River Clothing promo, and the Rubbermaid <laughs> promo. <laughs> I definitely had one of those Randy River promos. Yep. This song was not on it, but there was a lot of April wine. So. <laughs> Ooh, what a night. <laughs> Sorry, I like April wine, all right? <laughs> Personally, I like to have wine any time of the year. But... Yeah, okay, there we go. <laughs> You knew it was coming. <laughs> I was waiting for it. Um, so Tyler was the one that really wanted to... He wanted to do a different song than this. Like, Tyler was it was a really deep fan of Bruce Coburn. He wanted to do... I don't... He didn't say what song, but he wanted to do a really deep-cut folk song by Bruce Coburn. But the band finally decided to do something they all knew, which was this song. And it's a good thing okay. they did, but because, like... I don't know what your guys' perception of this song is, um, but for for the Canadian audience, 
This is one week. This is the song that that blasted the Bare Naked Ladies into the top tier of of Canadian bands, and everybody heard this song. Uh, for for like me and a lot of my generation, this was the first time we heard "Lovers in a Dangerous Time" at all. Though I I have to say, I was fully ready to come here tonight and say it's one of those rare covers that's better than the original. And then I listened Ooh. to the. Then I listen to the original again. I'm like, no, this is actually really good. So, but I'm I'm not gonna say one is better than the other. But this it, was, it is very good, though. Yeah, yeah. But this was like the biggest deal in the world when it came out. It was the first time everybody was talking about Bare Naked Ladies. I well, it was their it was their first hit single. Yeah, I would argue, like especially with Bruce, because I remember him back with Rocket Launcher and a few other songs too. If you haven't heard, if I have a rocket launcher, please look it up. It's a hoot. <laughs> um, it's the bass line from the original version. And also the cheesy as hell 80s video on a soundstage with a fog machine and two artsy fartsy like Canadian ballet dancers doing freestyle is just. (laughs) It's nuts. Yeah. But the original was a proper 80s just groove, frankly. And then the new one, the thing I love the best about the Bare Naked Ladies interpretation, besides the fact that. Somehow they managed to outfolk a folk singer. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> because in his version it was all electric, like was yeah, electric bass, electric guitar. He had this long 80s. trench coat with like an ear. He looked like one of the kids from uh, Lost Boys. Uh-oh. Yeah, <laughs> he, did. yeah he did. And, You're right. But then, uh, and synth. There's a little bit of synth in the background. It actually sounded a little more like Kim Mitchell than it did straight up Bruce Coburn. Uh, Another deep cut. I was gonna, I was going Duran Duran, but I could see Kim. It's Mitchell. similar, yeah, but it has the synth and the bass and all the rest of it. Uh, but long the short of it is, when they did it, uh, not a cappella, but wa- like uh, acoustically, yeah, and with the harmonies and the bass and everything, it was just nuts. That and the video oh. where they're in the back of a truck is just fun too, as if to play up the fact. The that video is incredible. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I absolutely love the video, and it's it's unfortunate the video you is very hard to find. Like they don't have it on the Bare Naked Ladies official website for whatever reason on YouTube. Um, you you have to get it through other people who have uploaded it by recording it off from much yeah, music. Yeah, I got, I got the then... tape. I'll loan it to you. <laughs> oh, it's yes. probably yeah, it's it's probably on their DVD Bare Naked Ladies, right? I, I'm sure Ooh. it's it's on that. He's going for the DVD, ladies and gentlemen. Okay, well, in the meantime, I'll talk about the song because, so, like I said, we were mostly, oh my, he's dead. Are you okay, Tracy? I'm okay. All right. We were mostly introduced to this through Bare Naked Ladies. The first song on, is the, actually the first song on the, on the disc. There you go. Um, the song, like, originally I think Bruce Coburn wrote this about um, teens living in the Cold War and still, like, they're still loving, they're still finding hope, even though they could be blasted by nuclear weapons any any time. But it kind of became the Canadian anthem for uh, HIV and AIDS shortly after that, yeah. which he was also fine about. And and it's interesting that the, the Bare Naked Ladies one, like, it really does, does kick when it's Bruce Coburn's version, but the Bare Naked Ladies version is very... Uh, kind of morose, and and it's got exactly what you need for a great bare naked lady song, which is heavily featuring Cregan on bass. Yeah. <laughs> and I think it, quote, don't quote me on this, but if unless there's another song that I'm unaware of, it's one of the first times Cregan ever pulled out Jim pulled out his actual bow for his bass, like where he actually played the bass as opposed to. Oh yeah, plucking away with his fingers. I think it's one of the few times. And beautifully, like I, whatever his reason for that choice was, it was the perfect choice for this song, in my opinion. Like it is to start the song, and like off and on throughout the song to go back to that bowed choice. It just 
there is something about it that gives it a completely different feel and not it's the part of the song that's not really folksy but more blues um but really kind of gives it a whole new element during that song versus the bruce coburn version Right. But it sounds like it ends up fitting in really well with the era where they're recording Gordon because he's so prominent on Gordon as well. And that bass was such a heavy part of their early sound that even yeah. though this wasn't an original Bare Naked Ladies song, it it introduced to Canada anyway exactly what they were going to be doing. Right. Like it was this song that prepped everybody to be like, oh, we've got to go and buy Gordon now and and, and made them like a household name. Yeah. Right. Not to mention on a more thematic level too, where the their version of it is a bit uh, frenetic, I guess, like a lot of energy, even though it is a sad song in a way, where their singing yeah. and their rhythm and their uh, tempo is so up. To have that bass solo right in the middle of it, just kind of wail away on it uh, oh. to slow to slow it back down. And Andrew, I think, nailed the word morose right in the middle of it. Yeah, I think mm. it's kind of like it feeds the two. It keeps the tone of the song while still being completely the bare naked ladies. <laughs> yeah. And the and the video is like this too. You know, the video starts in black and white and very slow with with Jim's bass, and as it goes on it gets more and more color and more and more fast until at the end as the song speeds up, the video is being played like at fast speed and Steve is just like stomping around a field at hyper speed screaming yeah. like we were lovers in a dangerous time at the end. So it, no, it it the video plays with the song really well. Well, it's funny because like at the very beginning, the timing is slower than the music, so the words are off. About the middle, it catches back up, and then at the end of the song, it's frenetic. So it's not like again, the words aren't matching up with the song that's going on. But you don't really care because the the tempo and the feel of the song has also picked up, and so you just ha like the video just really works well. Yep, they're singers in a dangerous time signature. Oh, nice, right. nice. <laughs> I said that. Man, I so don't want to come across as pedantic, but I have to say it's a dangerous tempo. <laughs> <laughs> that doesn't fit in. I can't not do it. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. That's fine, that's fine. <laughs> but also, like, it's fun to, to see the video, and, and you can clearly see this is really early Bare, bare Naked Ladies because Steve has nothing mm. to do. He doesn't know how to play guitar yet. <laughs> so oh so he God. literally, he's just kind of popping into frame and then leaving frame. And then when they finally are in the field at the end playing, like all he's doing <laughs> is stamping his feet around and flailing yeah. while the rest of them are playing instruments. It reminds me of this music video I saw. I think it was for like Norwegian Wood and like all Ringo has is a tambourine and it shows him like really bored, just like going ping. Yep. <laughs> Thing. Every once in a while, it just it makes just me, me chuckle. It reminds me of Oasis <laughs> because, uh, <laughs> like, oh, I always forget which one's which. But the the younger Sookie brother, uh, who never played anything, he just had his arms behind his back all the time, and he was just leaning into the microphone, singing all the time. There was, I think, for uh, "Don't Look Back in Anger," that's exactly what he was doing. Like they just gave him a tambourine and said, "Go over there." <laughs> <laughs> one of the Gallagher's. I don't remember if it was Liam or the other one, but whatever. <laughs> You were mentioning, Andrew, Steve popping up, and I think that's one of my favorite parts of that video is you get to that line, and, and they all of a sudden the harmonies come in on beautiful, and his head pops up with this great big grin on it, and I'm like, that, it, it just it makes me smile every time. Yeah, <laughs> and it's that great thing of a band that's just starting out. They've got no budget, and so all they do is pile into the back of a truck and drive around Scarborough with a camera. And that's it. And there's an interesting part, too, because they, they end up going to a signing, like, like they're they're at a record yes. store signing something. And there's a big sign that says Bare Naked Ladies Today or something like that. And it really reminded me of this period because they were super controversial at this time. You know, like some places didn't want oh. them to play because of the name. Yeah. Uh, and and they didn't want bare naked ladies written on signs. They're like, oh, they'll think our our record stores are strip clubs and stuff. Like it was a big deal at the time. In, in Newfoundland, we actually had a group called Free Beer. 
and they'd have it on posters downtown and they'd be like free beer tonight and they'd go to the bar and be like hi we're free beer <laughs> yep and they were always guaranteed <laughs> a disappointed popular. audience there, yeah, yeah. <laughs> It worked out later. <laughs> oh, you were mentioning the the plot of this video. There actually is a plot. Like we have, not only do we have the band playing, which because of the times, the tempo, and the t the, I don't know what to call the speed on the song and the changing speed on the video. Like that brings an interesting element to it. Also, the black and white to color, as you mentioned. But you do, we do have a plot in this this video where we have these. I would guess they're lovers because they're they're you know introduced when they say lovers in a dangerous time. And winter um, is a pretty dangerous time in Canada. It is. In the prairies, it's, it's and, <laughs> Like we're wondering why we're following these two these two ladies out into the cold, but it's to get to the the signing, and they're the only everyone else goes to the signing to see someone else other than BNL. Right. These two ladies, like they like laud them with gifts because they're the only ones that showed up for them. They go to the section of the store that's uh which is probably a Sam the record man uh uh to get rap CDs. <laughs> which at the time would probably be let your backbone slide. <laughs> By um oh I'll think of his name before we're done. <laughs> he was Canadian. Oh, I know that I know that for a very good reason, and it's because both of those songs are on the top fifty Canadian songs of all time list. Um, that was decided by the CBC in two thousand and five, and I will talk about that <laughs> later. Da -da -da -da. So you can't get more BNL than the reason that they made the song sound the way that it did. I, I really love the story that's behind this um, in that they were going to kind of do kind of a very um, true cover of this song um, for, for the album. But when they were in the studio, the person from the record company wanted them to just do the straight ahead version of the song and the band was really struggling with how to, how they wanted to approach it. And when the company man came over and told Tyler how to do the beat and Tyler's like, responded, Oh, you mean exactly like the original version. And that just inspired them to go, no, absolutely not. Like <laughs> we're going to do our own very different cover of this. Yeah. Makes sense. And that's just BNL all the way. From what I heard and what I can remember as well, reading up on some of, uh, some of like the liner notes i won't say liner notes because that's not where i read it but bruce loves their cover uh, himself like as much as he is true to his own version of course um he I, I swear to goodness at some point or another he sang it with them yep many times actually he's he's done yeah, a couple which is, which is just fabulous <laughs> yeah he's he's done it with them a couple of different times and some of those times he did it with his version some of the times he's done it their version um but it's interesting you say that because just recently with the the anniversary of this song coming out, um, they interviewed him about that. And one of the questions that they had for him was like, what was your first thought when you heard Bare Naked Ladies version of this? And he said basically that it took him a little while to get used to because it was so different. He didn't hate it, but it was just it was so different that it was it, it kind of shocked him and it really took a while to get to him, but then now he loves it. <laughs> it's really a different mood. Like his is really thumping and like he, he's saying something like, like this is happening and it's not going to stop. Like it's mm. a forceful song. Whereas theirs is, is completely dreamy and, and idyllic and folky, like you said. And, and it's it, it, it's strange to that you can fit both ideas into the one song, but they've got them. I think that's the best uh, reason for anybody to do a cover is to not to reinterpret it to the point where it should be just messed up. Right. But I feel the same. This is going to come off as really weird. But um, Tears for Fears, Everybody Wants to Rule the World. Lord did a version of it. And it's... Yeah. Yeah, it's weird. It's different. It's very goth, for lack of a better word, but it's amazing. And yet, you can listen to both, and they have both different interpretations. But it's mm -hmm. they're both still good. 
And I like it when a band does a cover and they do it so completely differently that yeah. you, you feel like you can listen to both versions. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, um, I, it, the, the closest equivalent I could think of when comparing the two of these, and I thought about this just for this show, was the fact that it would be the same as Weird Al Yankovic, basically, doing a version of, like, Born in the USA, but legitimate. Right. Like the actual, just but doing it his way. Mm-hmm. If I feel that he would still do it justice, but on an accordion. Right. <laughs> so I feel there's a there's a certain flair in both, but that's what it makes me feel about. Because in a similar way, uh, Bruce Springsteen's song "Born in the USA," as much as it is an anthem and all that, is talking about what's wrong with the states at the time. And in a similar way, this so is Bruce Coburn talking about problems that he's noticed. So. That's the first thing I thought of is like, what's an American version of this? I kind of think of something. I couldn't think of a darn thing. So that's the best I could come up with. It's a good poll. <laughs> this song was also their first selfie cam jam at the beginning of the <laughs> pandemic, uh, way back in March. Yeah. And, and for me, like this was one of the moments where it's like, Oh no, mm-hmm. this is real. That, uh, it was at the end of March and, and they put on uh, this, it was a fundraiser for the second harvest food rescue. And they were all stuck in their, each other's homes and recorded it, I guess, independently because it's impossible to do music over Zoom. Everybody's time is off. Um, and uh, and put out them with uh, uh, playing this, you know, without Andy Cregan, of course, yeah. or, or Steve. Um, but it was a great version of this. And Tyler is, is playing his walls. <laughs> <laughs> he's just got two sticks and he's yeah. like hitting the wall. Yeah. I really that version's really good, by the way. That that uh, performance is excellent. It is, yeah. <clears throat> well, Aaron, we have we've been talking, we've jumped all over the the place tonight, which is which is fine. Um, but we we haven't heard from you about your breakdown. Can you break down B and L's version for us? I can break this down like enzymes, <laughs> my man. I can Whoa. break this down into three discrete pieces, which are. The A chord, the B minor chord, and the G chord. <laughs> um, yeah, so Lovers in a Dangerous Time. Uh, the version that you sent us initially, which I assume was the version off of the uh, the Coburn tribute album, um, was recorded at about 130 beats per minute. But honestly, there's quite a bit of rushing and dragging. It tends to speed up as the song uh, goes, um, except for the, uh, the halftime interlude section. Um, so it's kind of all over the map, but it, it kind of lends itself to that kind of uh, energy that we were talking about earlier, where you kind of feel they get more excited and they kind of they shift around. Uh, the original, sorry, I, go ahead. I was interested to see whether if you were going to be able to actually like break down the timing signatures on all of it. <laughs> oh man, after uh, you know, I, after I uh, I listened to you know a, like a few seconds and my metronome was in sync and then started to get out of sync and then I reset it and tried it again and I reset it and tried it again. I was like, no, okay. It, it's, it's not, it's not steady enough to give a, a solid rating to, but somewhere between 130, 140. Uh, the original by Bruce Coburn was recorded at 144 beats per minute. That's got the electronic drums and stuff. So that's a steady beat. Um, but this is a more acoustic, more naturalistic cover with a much looser and freer feel. Uh, as an aside, I should say, I do like the music of Bruce Coburn. I haven't heard nearly as much as I should. I'm sure. But I was introduced to his music by a friend who sent me oh. the song Pacing the Cage, uh, which is a really great song and a very different feel. And uh, ironically, kind of closer to the feel that BNL captured in this in this cover of Lovers in a Strange or Lovers in a Dangerous Time, because it's more folksy and stuff like that. But um, yeah, this is uh, Lovers in Dangerous Time is in the key of D major, which is interesting because the D chord arguably is never played in the entirety of the song, which is unusual that you wouldn't play the tonic at all. Uh, you could make the case that it's implied at times or very sparsely used as a transitional or passing chord. Mm-hmm. However, the vast majority, if not arguably the entirety of the song is three simple chords, A major, B minor, and G major. This would be five up to six down to four. So it never really resolves, incredible, in a sense, the move away from the dominant to the six and then over to the subdominant is sort of like a mini resolution, but 
there's a reason that this song kind of sounds like a runaway train just kind of going and going. And that's because there is no true resolution. And I wonder how much of that was programmatic or thematic on Coburn's part, because it's sort of implying it just never stops. Right. Um, so normally I should say, I hate the lack of resolution in a, in, in a piece of music. Um, it's often used in Muzak, you know, like in stores because the lack of resolution gives no sense of urgency. And since the music is just sort of, hanging around. I think the hope is that psychologically you, the listener, the shopper will just sort of hang around too. And they'll hope that you'll buy more if you spend more time in the store. I used to work at retail back in my college days. And I was, of course, studying music at the time. So this drove me crazy. Uh, but this is not the case here. It's, it's, it's just a nice song. Um, and again, the only really three chords are A, B minor and G and in that order. Uh, so the verse is A, B minor, G. The chorus is A, B minor, G. That's when you hear lovers in a dangerous time. And uh, even what I would call the bridge, which is basically a halftime instrumental interlude, still the same changes, uh, A, B minor, and G. But I will, I will call the verse an A section, the chorus a B section, and the bridge a C section, just because uh, slightly slight shift in melody and slight shift in the uh, the lyrics and such. So... We have the verse one, which is your A section, your chorus, your B section, verse two, A, chorus, B, that halftime instrumental interlude bridge sort of thing, which is C. Uh, then you have verse three, A, and then chorus, B, and then you fade out. So A, B, A, B, C, A, B, very traditional form, but all the changes, again, are, are all the same, and the bridge is just really this kind of, uh, re, you know, uh, going through those chords again, but changing the feel. So it almost strikes me more of like a classic folk song format where they just kind of continue and do the different verse and verse and verse and verse and verse, which I think fits somewhat with the jazzy, somewhat folksy, somewhat bluegrassy, somewhat country pop rock combo. Again, classic B&L sound where they have a nice blend and fusion of multiple genres. I think it works really well for this song. And I did listen to the original. I liked it a lot, but... Uh, in some in some ways, I like this better. Yeah, it kind of depends. You know, like um, maybe on, maybe on my mood on the day, it might change my answer if I like which one better. But um, Cosine, they're both very yeah. good in their own ways. <clears throat> but yeah, that's that's pretty much say, it. If very you're simple in the middle breakdown. of a Degrassi Junior High binge, I think uh, the original <laughs> kind of fits because it feels more eighties, <laughs> whereas whereas the BNL are definitely, definitely total nineties. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> It's interesting what you were saying about a lack of resolution, too, because I think that is what what the original what Coburn means, because he's yeah. talking about something happening, you know, being love as a force of hope, building something, building a future in a, in a time with really no future. Like they, we were all sure that nuclear annihilation was the only way this was going to end. And people were yeah. still falling in love and starting families. And that's what the song is about. And I love songs. I know you said like oh, that yeah. drives you up the wall. But I, I actually love it. That's <laughs> one of my favorite things. I think I'm, I'm, I'm not a musicologist, so I don't really know these correct terms. But um, one of my favorite things in the Beyonce song, Formation, because yeah. that song is just two notes that are rising. Duh, duh, and... And that song is about like starting a movement, starting a feminist movement, and that women have to get yeah. in formation and do this. But it's not resolving because it's not presenting solutions to these problems. It's just saying, let's get together and solve these problems. And that's what I really like about yeah. that. And that's what's going on well, here, I, too, I think. I should clarify. It's not that I hate lack of resolution in general. It's just that I hate music, <laughs> and it reminds me of music. <laughs> so, all right, fair. When it's done well and when it's programmatic and, and like thematically appropriate, like here or like in formation, I totally agree. It's it's great to great effect. <laughs> um, and yeah, no, it's uh, it's a really interesting song. It's not. Um, it is fairly dissimilar to a lot of the other stuff that we've heard. Which, having heard so much at this point, is is pretty cool to be able yeah, to say. It, well, and I know we talk about it almost every single time, but I I think that we really have to highlight it here. And once again, it it comes down to, I think, we, like you were saying earlier, Andrew, this was, in a lot of ways, the way that BNL was introduced to Canada. You know, the harmonies are in this are just angelic. And you don't get that on Coburn's version. Not that he couldn't do that, but he, you don't have that on Coburn's version. Here, I think that's almost one of the driving forces of this song. And... It just suddenly comes up yeah. like it's it's not there, and then all of a sudden, when he, they say "beauty of it all," it you have that angelic voice come in, and it really emphasizes that line. 
Yeah. This well, song I, is is everything you need to know about Bare Naked Ladies going into like yeah, the yeah, Gordon yeah. era. You know, it's got it's got the bass, it's got Tyler's drums in the background and the little dreamy piano, and it's got that incredible mix of Ed and Steve's voices. And and it's so strange because it's not a Bare Naked Ladies song, but they've made it so quintessentially <laughs> their own that yeah. it's the only it, song it you need to listen to. Yeah. Very much like them. Yeah. And to your to your point, Tracy, about you know the eighties sound versus the nineties sound. I think, you know, in, in Coburn's version, all the synth and, and all the electronic elements, they're non-human. So it's kind of yeah. alienating. And that was the, that was probably the sense you had during that time is alienation. You have the Cold War. You have the AIDS epidemic. Uh, and in 90s, you know, we still have problems. And, and in fact, to, to a large extent, a lot of the same problems and, and you know, different problems as well. But it's, it's more stark. It's less maybe alienating, but it's more stark and it's more direct and it's more just kind of naked and raw in their acoustic version. So it it's really interesting. That's why I said I, I kind of it's hard to say which one I like better because they're they're the same song, but they're they're quite different. I think different it's funny in, that in the feels. bass slaps so much in Bruce's version. Mm-hmm. Ironically, I find <laughs> yeah. it. I don't know if ironic is the correct term here, but considering the fact that generally speaking, Jim is playing the bass, you know, plucking. And this is one of the few times that he plays yeah. it almost classic, almost classically. <laughs> He's bowing it. But then, yeah. mm-hmm. I wonder if he made that choice intentionally to move away I from the original. I can only imagine because, seriously, the one thing I love the most about Bruce is, besides the fact that I just, I like listening to him sing, too, because he has that really, uh, like, that really uh, deep uh, voice, and it's, yeah. it's it's a different kind of sound. But that... Oh, it just—I love it. <laughs> like it's—it's—it's—it's yeah. it's, it's a drive. Yeah. It's a real driving force in the middle of that song, and I really like it. But then you get to the the elegiac playing over the bridge of him just going on classical. Ch- uh, I wanted to say cello, but classical bass, Ugh. and it also shows Jim's <laughs> chops too, because I mean he's not just a bass player; he's also a bass player. <laughs> I found intriguing about the BNL version is you want to call that third verse, which is the part where they say kick this, kicking, you know, kick at the darkness. You want to call that a bridge because there's something that BNL does with that that makes it sound just enough different that it sounds like a bridge. But if you listen to Coburn's version, no, it's definitively a third verse of that song. When Nothing worth having comes without some kind of fight Gotta kick at the darkness till it bleeds daylight Um, But I like that they decided to do that. Like, okay, let's change it up just a little bit here. Not just with the tempo, but also, I I don't know if it was the chord structure or the key or what it was, but there was a, a significant change enough that it felt like a bridge. Yeah, I mean, the primary difference was the the halftime, slowing it down. Um, I think that's the kind of thing that I probably would have, uh, the decision I would have made uh, when I was writing a song, just to kind of keep it interesting. If, if it is the kind of this, the same three chords and the same changes, you want to put something in there that can kind of hold the attention. With Coburn's version, he's got all the electronic elements, and you can kind of add and subtract things and change the sound and keep interest that way. But if you've got this acoustic version, um, it kind of lends itself better to doing something like that. It's a little more dramatic with the overall form of the song. Uh, but yeah, again, uh, it, it, it's really interesting that they, they do manage to hold your attention. And uh, to me, it's the combination of the you know the earnestness in the the playing and the the really outstanding vocal harmonies that uh, that capture my attention. And Andrew, you you were bringing up the earlier the the whole idea of this song like what this song really means and it's it's interesting to me that like 
for me, this song has always been something different than what Bruce Coburn, I think, intended it to be about originally. And it makes sense. Like, growing up in the 80s, that it makes sense that, like, okay, yeah, it's lovers in this dangerous time of, like, the Cold War kind of thing. But to me, it's always been a song about um, gay love, like, and thinking of, like, interracial love in the 60s and 70s, the gay love of, like, the 90s where and, and, early, and late 80s, where that was really controversial. And then today, like, any love that people are kind of phobic about, like, it, it, because they're general enough, it can fit any of those. And so to me, it's always been about those other types of, of love. Yep, you're quite right, and and he's always been open. Bruce Coburn has been open that he likes that, and and it is in the song that it, it's it's general enough that it can be that kind of Romeo and Juliet anthem for for a wide variety of things. And when you're a teenager, you always feel like your love is dangerous and 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 kind of forbidden. Some a lot of the time it is because your parents think you're too young or whatever. Um, it, it doesn't even have to be something so much as as the real. And, and truly controversial types of love that there are still in the world that people don't want you to have. Um, but it is a song that can be applied to any uh, type of, you know, we're here recording in Pride Month, uh, and it is a song that can be applied to any kind of love that is being forbidden uh, for whatever reason. And that's, I, I think, part of what makes it so so lively even today after 1984 and and that's also why it became or 1986 it came out today 84 and and that's also why it it became such a 84 it's such an anthem for for HIV and AIDS because it's it's both you know primarily uh it was uh, gay men who were getting AIDS at the time in the in the the mid 80s and also you, you know it was doubly forbidden love suddenly that you were having um, forbidden by society and forbidden because it was literally, you know, possibly going to take your life. So uh, I think that there's so much to this song that allows for that to continue uh, and and still makes it relevant today. And it made it relevant when they did it for the selfie cam jam um, uh, during yeah, the pandemic. Yeah, with you COVID. Know? Yeah, exactly. I was thinking yeah. that when I was watching that. Yeah, it yeah, really sort, sort of sort of timeless in that sense you could even bring it back and and look into the past and see like you know maybe like and now i'm just uh writing fanfic in my head but i'm thinking like you know a couple on the border of the mason dixon line during the civil war or something like that (laughs) we we could do a really cool fan video of the song (laughs) sounds like a decemberist cover needs to happen now but it um and the other thing i love about it as well is that it you all what I would love to see, and this is going to sound kind of funny, but because of Bruce's roots in kind of the folk rock, Christian rock kind of thing, because he did a bit of that too. As a matter of fact, Waiting on a Miracle is a really good song. But anyway, uh, I would love to see his interpretation, like to bring it back around again, I would love to see Bruce Coburn's cover of this cover. I would like to see mm. his interpretation of the uh, Bare Naked Ladies uh, breakdown of it. Because where his was the like where yeah. his was flooded with '80s norms, which was just mm-hmm. like you used the tech at the time to make a good song. Uh, I would love to see it flipped over and just see make it bare bones, just him and a guitar, and maybe a, and some harmonies, and yeah. then a cello solo Definitely. in the middle or something. <laughs> I would love maybe a banjo solo just to be different. Yeah, I would. <laughs> But Andrew, I, I cut you off earlier, and I apologize. You were going to bring us into the discussion of the of the rank of the uh... the great Canadian. Yeah, so you know, you know, th- this is, is we were saying before we recorded. This is probably the most Canadian episode of this podcast about a Canadian band with Canadian guests that you're ever going to do. But so uh, back in 2005, the CBC, my employer, uh, did a. Uh, I guess an audience based voting to find like the best, the 50 best Canadian tracks mm-hmm. of all time. And, uh, and so I, I thought we would talk about that for a while because it's a very Canadian list and it's also kind of full of it. <laughs> but um, this particular song, Bruce Coburn's version of this song uh, is actually a number 11 on that list. So it is the, the 11th greatest Canadian song of all time, according to according to as of two thousand five, there is only one as of two thousand five. 
mo- this this list is pretty heavily '90s as well, I should say. But what there is only one bare naked ladies song on this list. What do you think it is, and where do you think it is? I'm gonna say Enid, and I'm gonna say somewhere around 25. That's a cool guess. Anybody else? Aaron? <laughs> Remember, he only knows about half the discography. You're, you're asking, you're asking, yeah, you're asking the newbie here. I mean, of, of the songs you've heard. <laughs> of the songs I've heard, that's fair. Um, oh, man. Yeah, I don't think my favorites are, I don't know. <laughs> I'm, hey, I'm you got to go real early <laughs> stuff, too. Uh, 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 probably my one of my favorites is um, Brian Wilson, and maybe number twenty. I'm gonna okay. guess the obvious. <laughs> if I had a million dollars, and it's probably number thirty. <laughs> okay, uh, I'm gonna yeah. I'm gonna say in in prices right fashion, closest to going over. Justin is the winner. <laughs> It is If I Had a Million Dollars, okay. and it is the second greatest Canadian song of all time. Wow. According, wow. according wow. to this list, Darn. beating That's this song crazy. by, like, 10 points, and, and right after it, in the number three spot, Neil Young's Heart of Gold and Stan oh. Rogers' Northwest Passage. So <laughs> That's a great great song. What was, okay, I, I'm almost terrified to ask because this is pre-Bieber, but what was number one? There's no Bieber on this list. Okay, so so here's the thing about this list, and this is how you know you're in, in Canada. This list is kind of full of it for for the following reasons. One, there are only two tragically hip songs on this list. Neither of them is Grace Two. That's foolish. That's terrible. Two, terrible. there are zero coming from Newfoundland. There are zero Great Big Sea songs on this list, and the only the Newfoundland song whatsoever is Sunny's Dream by Ron Hines. Which okay, that's yeah, it should be there. Yeah. <laughs> Yes. There are two Bruce Coburn songs. The other one is Wondering Where the Lions Are. That's way down. I've never heard it before. But the most Canadian thing that this list could do is make the number... Make the number... Rush? Yeah, what do you you think? You guys... um, It's got to be Tom Sawyer if it's Rush. Tom Sawyer? Okay. Justin? I guarantee it's Brian Adams... And given the timing. Oh no, uh, no, I don't. I refuse. I refuse. So I bet you it's summer of '69. <laughs> uh, no. I, I, Please say that's not true. It is not true. Summer of '69 is is way down below. Uh, that's probably in the twenties. Oh, okay. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> Small favors. Okay. Well, who is it? Yeah. No, the the most Canadian thing possible that this could do is make the number one song an obscure song that nobody has ever heard of. So apparently the greatest song in Canadian history is a song called Four Strong Winds by oh. Ian and Sylvia, which is popular in Alberta. And I guess if you're not from Alberta, you don't know what it is. I, I'm i claiming Canadian tonight, but I have never heard that song in my life. I know I've what never- it is because I know a lot of Albertans. Yeah. <laughs> and we'll put a sample of it in right here. Strong winds that blow lonely, seven seas that run high, all those things that don't change come one day. Apologies to the good people of Alberta. I have not heard that. Apologies, it's not a good song. But I guess if you like, <laughs> if you're from Alberta. Like, maybe they, you know, being from Newfoundland, we do this a lot with national polls, so I assume yeah. what Alberta did was just stack the vote. <laughs> and that's fine. That's fine. Listen, well, we all know it should have been I Wear My Sunglasses at Night by Corey Hart. <laughs> <laughs> that's correct. Or The Safety Dance by Men Without Hats. Well, at least it was on the list. Video. That's on the list. Oh, nice. Is it really? That's a great it song. Is, yeah. No joke. Like, oh, it, no. it's funny, but it's a good song. Men Without Hats are the bomb. No, they're great. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, I am but at least Celine ask. Dion did not get number one. Uh, Celine Dion, not on this list. Wow. Yes! Wow. Thank you. So where did Maestro Fresh West land? Maestro Fresh West landed, I think, at like 45 with Let Your Backbone Slide. That would be the rap song I'm very sure everybody was yeah. buying instead of uh, the Bare Naked Ladies album. That's, That's definitely true. You can you can all look this up online. It's all there. Uh, the The top ten is what you would think. You know, Neil Young, Stan Rogers, the Guess Who, Gordon Lightfoot, Joni Mitchell. 
some Leonard Cohen in there, but but again, you know, there should be more than two tragically hip songs. Now, if it was the Guess Who, ironically, then I'm assuming the song was American Woman. That's correct. <laughs> Which I, it's a good song, but I actually prefer No Time. There's mm, there's nothing more voice. Canadian than singing about America. <laughs> <laughs> So. You guys do love to complain about us and our women, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was. You we know apologize. what? It was, it was. It was in time. It was. It was predicting the COVID uh, outbreak. American woman, stay away from me. Yeah. American woman, a mask I want to see. I don't know why I'm speaking like Yoda, it's, but it's it's not so much a complaint as just good advice. Yeah. <laughs> Now, how many of you guys have heard other versions of this song other than BNL and Bruce Coburn? I heard no. the one that you sent me. <laughs> but was it the Royal We? I would not have I, heard I, that. I was going to say I'm going to I'm going to pull up a few different ones, and I want your your reactions to these different versions. So the first one that we're going to see, if it if it loads up here, is going to be Franzi Ford, or Frazy Ford, sorry. Oh, now of course we have a we have an ad. Hold on. <laughs> Damn it, YouTube. <laughs> Brought to you by not a sponsor. slow i like that actually different voice yeah. I'm, I'm not not feeling that one I, I i could see liking this performer in a different song <laughs> <laughs> that was the most canadian way to say you don't like something that i've ever heard <laughs> <laughs> I, i'm gonna give it an e for effort <laughs> <laughs> Don't you know? <laughs> oh, yeah. It's just not doing it for me. I sounded Irish at the end of that. I don't know. Uh, the next one, as as Aaron had brought up, was The Royal, Royal We. Okay, I mean, it kind of reminds me of uh, "Pumped Up Kicks" by Foster the People. Yeah, yeah, I I don't mind it. My my only complaint about this is that the music sounds almost exactly like the original, just without yeah, the bass. Yeah, very eighties synthy. What? Mm-hmm. Well, what it reminds me of it's a house remix. That's literally. Yeah, what I think that's me. exactly what it is. <laughs> like, I'm not trying to be mean when I no, say no, that. No, no, yeah, yeah. Mean, it sounds like that. It sounds like two people mm-hmm. singing over the original version or something, not karaoke yeah. style, but just. Making a house remix. That's what it Which was like. nice. The, the the harmony was nice. It was nicely dissonant, but uh, I, I don't know. I would have liked more I, from the music. I do notice that we're being recommended to watch Mazzy Stars Fade Into You, and now I kind of want to watch that instead. <laughs> That's good. And and Aaron, this is this is right up your alley, and, and I, I want to know if you've ever played this game. Oh. But Lovers in a Dangerous Space Time. No, I... I almost think that I heard about this. That sounds really familiar, the title. I've heard about it. I haven't played it. But I've never played it. I'm going to have to play it now, apparently. I'm going to have to do a crossover stream. You're going to have to do a Twitch stream of it. You're going to have to be a guest on that stream, then. Uh, Well, yeah, I hope so. But here is the the intro, the, the the trailer for it. This looks very stressful. So basically... You're playing with multiple people, yeah. and there are different points throughout the ship that everyone has the ability to kind of control. Trigger with different the guns, functions, the yeah. and and the speed, um, and and everyone's going to try to control this ship in order to defeat different masters. I like the concept. It looks like a lot of fun. Um, yeah, I'll have I, to try it. it. It looks like Among Us without yeah, the yeah. murder. Yeah, I was thinking that. Yes. Yeah, we should play some more Among Us guys. That is, that's good. So, I would do so that. bare naked totally ladies do. have appeared in video games before, not just their music, but their actual selves. Do you know what game they were in? I do not. Uh, bare naked. But I'm writing it down because now I'm interested enough that I'm going to be like, "Oh, that's going to." I believe my I, I might be wrong about the year, but it was NHL 2007. 
Um, Whatever it was, you'll be able to find which year it was because it was the year that It's Only Me uh, premiered because that song is in this game. And Jeff, I think that's how Jeff got into them. He was saying, right. So if if you start up the game and create a skater and put in one of the guy's names, Stephen Page, Ed Robertson, it just generates them as as a hockey player. Does it really? That's awesome. That's a great little Easter egg. That is amazing. That's up there with playing as Bill Clinton in NBA Jam. <laughs> I've got now, now, Mr. and Mrs. Clinton. Thank you very much. <laughs> oh yeah, you can play as oh, Hillary. Oh man, too. I got That's a three right. pointer hill. <laughs> <laughs> She's on fire. Now I'm gonna I'm gonna hand back over the screen in one minute. But Aaron, did you watch the video that Bruce Coburn had? Yes. For his yeah, the really radically '80s video. I loved it. Oh, it's now, so rad. It's very. Now rad. I have to ask you: Did you not, in some way, yourself think that he was the inspiration for Pyramid Head? I see originally? it. Yeah. Whoa. I could, At now, the beginning, now that you mention it, not Bruce Coburn, the other this guy. pyramid right. head guy. <laughs> well, yes, the the video, the person in the video. <laughs> but once I saw that, I could not unsee pyramid. See, head in- it's funny that you mentioned that. I was not thinking Silent Hill at all, but he he kind of looked to me almost like Matthew Modine in um, Full Metal Jacket, Private Joker, mm, okay. when he gets his hair back in the second part of the film. I'm still I'm still going Lost Boys like seriously. Yeah, but. no, it's definitely it's very it's very <laughs> Lost Boys too. It's yeah. it's very yeah. 80s. Kiefer Sutherland, another Canadian. You're welcome. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, we love Kiefer. He's great. Kiefer, we love you. You know you listen. Come on the oh, show. Oh yeah, we know you listen, Kiefer. Come on the show. You can punch a Christmas tree or whatever it was. <laughs> Unfortunately, we lost Jeff. Uh, he was here earlier, and and he had to get going. Um, he had a, a situation creep up that he had to take care of. Um, so we don't have our, our rating scale. Does anyone have one that they that they are like strongly attached to tonight? Um, why don't we rate it in in terms of of lovers or nuclear weapons, one uh, or the other? And 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 so we're we're multiplying lovers uh so it's it's lovers kind of in a dangerous times <laughs> tables and and so oh. <laughs> oh, i love it like on a scale I absolutely love it on a scale of like romeo and juliet uh, uh, at the top that would be the best and and princess die and charles at the bottom oh. <laughs> <laughs> wow That's fair. How about that? That's, that's also a very. I, I know I'm Canadian here too, but that's a very Canadian way of doing that too. <laughs> and and timely too, because that would have been right so around. That's, that's, that's why right I picked. Right yeah. yeah. See, see, always thinking. Okay. Yeah, okay. Hmm. Yeah. Always thinking. Anyway, that doesn't make any sense. I give this an A plus. This song is amazing. It's it's it's. <laughs> Well, z- zero to five lovers. How many lovers I'm, are you doing? This, this is definitely a five-way. Um, wow, it's a five-way. Well, five lovers. Wow. <laughs> intense. I assume at the same time. The, uh, <laughs> no, this is like bare-naked ladies. That is dangerous. It's very dangerous. I hope they're using protection, but in any case, I'm not. I'm letting this all the way in. Bare-naked ladies doing lovers in a dangerous time. It does not get any... Uh, bare-naked ladies doesn't get better than this. Like... Even though they didn't write this song, this is as good as be, their touch. Their their version of this song is as good as if I had a million dollars. It's as good as Brian Wilson. It's as good as all my favorite tracks. This is a a perfect track. Five out of five. Justin, what about you? No, I gotta throw in five as well. This is quintessential. This is honest to goodness, and I'm gonna throw in as well. One of the only times that I can remember that he played the damn bass, and I want that to be known. <laughs> That's a big deal. <laughs> Playing a classic. That is I'm cool. Just kind of like this is nuts. I mean, and just like Andrew said, this is the foundation of what basically. Uh, don't get me wrong; there were earlier songs, but this was the foundation of what they became. This is what they built it on. This is the everything that we know about them could be found in this this video, this song. All of it. So, nah, I, I got to give it a proper five. 5.0. <laughs> and, and Aaron? 
you had to go to me first. All right. Well, okay. So I'm not drinking. I'm not. I'm not drinking Haterade. Okay. So let's not. Let's let's get one thing out of the way. I like this song and I like it quite a bit. Um, I can't put it up with like the flag and Brian Wilson and alcohol and Enid. Those are just like, in my opinion, like those are like basically perfect songs, which is why I gave them a five. I, I like this a lot. Um, I th- the real question is, do I put it in my best of playlist, right? Mm-hmm. Because we say anything we rate four or above, we would put in the playlist. And I think it just makes it in there because I do like it. I'm probably going to return to it. And it, Perhaps most importantly, if I were to try to introduce someone to BNL, is it a song that I would kind of show them to demonstrate this is kind of what they're all about? And that is definitely the case. So I will enthusiastically give four lovers to lovers at a dangerous time, which is very respectable. Very that's good. Fair. That's fair. That's, that's, that's kind of that's kind of just two swinging couples, right? They're just swapping. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll give it a hashtag wife. Okay, swap. great. Oh, jeez. Now I I don't want to like even guess about how we're gonna do this one, but Jeff did me, send me his number. Um, he says he absolutely loves this song, um, and he gave it a four point three. So I, so I it's okay. So it's it's Tracy. It's Tracy, two- save me! Don't make me the hater. You got to give it a three. <laughs> no, but so four point three is like two couples in a dildo, right? <laughs> if it was 4.5 I'd say it was like at least a smaller person or something but yeah. <laughs> I was just going to go there but thank you for taking that one <laughs> I was going to say maybe so marital aid works sure alright <laughs> so, so Jeff We're is, all grown Jeff up is here, giving boys. this four people in a jockey um, <laughs> I am going to give this I, I have to say, I love this song. I love this rendition of it. I, to compare it to Bruce Coburn's isn't fair, like you had mentioned before. Um, but of all the versions that are out there, and I've listened to about 10 of them this week, uh, I highlighted just a few tonight. Um, My God, there are 10 of them? <laughs> oh, there are a lot of them on iTunes. Um, there, there's even a reggae version, which don't, I don't recommend going out and listen to that one. Um I could see that though for some reason. Okay. <laughs> um, but this is this one is definitely the best cover out there, um, in my opinion. And when it comes down to covers, this is what I ask for from a cover. Um, I ask for it to be significantly different, to be its own thing, and to try to elevate it to the same level or higher than what the original was. And I feel like they did that with this. Um, and I have this on my playlist. I listened to it this week. It never got old once. And I listened to this probably somewhere around 20 times this week, um, along with listening to the other versions as well. So I have to give this a five. Hey. Nice. Sorry, Aaron. Well, I'll tell you what. I, well, I was, hey, hey, it's all right. I, I dug my grave all I had him. <laughs> um, but no, uh, you know, I again... I'm just happy um, that the flag is, is in your five level. Like, like oh, you, that's no, how can real. I not exactly? You you can it's... you've got a full pass on anything else that you say here. <laughs> well, I appreciate that as a as a half Canadian, I'll, I'll use my diplomatic <laughs> immunity here. Uh, but no, uh, Tracy, go ahead and put an asterisk next to my score because I may revisit this one come New Year's. You know, I'll, I'll give it some more time and, and come back to it and see if I change my mind. Like, I, Aaron, again, I still like it. I'm not going to like yeah. ever not like it. Yeah. But Aaron, I I'm, I'm not going to put words in your mouth, but when I was listening to when you were talking about the technicality of it, it's a it's a simple song. It is, yeah. Like you said, three chords. I mean, they have some much more technical amazement that you've already like some of their other songs where they just start going all over the place with amazing little things that they do i mean even the breakdown in uh uh grade nine where they split into three <laughs> different things and stuff yeah. i mean there's crazier stuff that they've done but uh so yeah full props i i get well it. yeah i think that's and that's the reason why i like to come back at the end of the year to some of these is because when i'm approaching it from you know a breakdown perspective where i'm just analyzing it it, it can tend to be uh, very kind of uh, cold and, and logical. So, you know, again, maybe if I just listen to it on its own and try not to think about it, 
um, I'll just uh, I might revise and, and, and raise my my rating a little. No no promises, but I will certainly oh, but... uh, come back to it. It's honest. It's okay. Now there is there's another no, version. There's no cake. There's no kink shaming here. <laughs> <laughs> Clearly not with uh, four people and a jockey. <laughs> Which, by the way, Tracy, jockeys are people too. Shame on you. I do. <laughs> That's true. Unless you meant like a jock strap. I don't know. Uh, there is one version of this that we have not covered at this point, and I'm waiting to hopefully get it to load up here because it's giving me the spinning wheel of death for whatever reason, um, that you may or may not have heard, which is the version, I, I love listening to this version as well, which is the time that for a benefit where Stephen Page and Bruce Coburn actually played this song together on stage. Well, St Bruce played the song and, and Stephen sang. Cool. So it's absolutely gorgeous. Yeah, nice. very nice. And that was another version I listened to. I, I would say easily I listened to it five times this week, where it's just wonderful to hear it in the background. Um, and as you can tell, the, the people that were in the audience were absolutely loving every second of that as well. Yeah. Obviously, a Canadian audience. <laughs> um, so, I, I've really enjoyed uh, talking about the love these last two weeks, uh, the love songs. And love is one of the most popular topics in human history, of course. And it's understandably understandable why it is um, it just feels great you know it, it just to talk about it even it makes my heart fly <laughs> I was wondering where you're going with that <laughs> so yeah next week we start moving into the M's and then again like I said it's a cover one of these days I'm going to buy you a Stretch Armstrong action <laughs> figure for Christmas and give it to you that was your name when you came on tonight yeah yeah Stretch Armstrong. <laughs> guys, it is as always been amazing. Yeah, it's really good to talk to you guys again. That was awesome. Hope you Thanks, come on I again. really appreciate it. We right. always love being here. Yep. Thanks for having Yay. us. Thanks, that was fun. Don't forget, no regrets. Except me.